Hi, my name is Melanie B. Hyland from Norman, Oklahoma, and I belong to the Tornado Alley chapter of Sisters or Siblings in Crime, a national organization dedicated to education for mystery and crime writers of all genders. The Tornado Alley chapter sponsors this podcast to support and promote local and regional writers, whether they are well-established or emerging. Our guest for today is Carol Nichols, a Tornado Alley member from El Reno, Oklahoma, both an artist and an author of a mystery romance series. She began the first book in the series, A Different Season, after the death of her husband, in order to work through her grief as she entered a different season of her life. Now she has three books and another one coming soon. Welcome, Carol. We're so glad you could drive down from El Reno this afternoon for the podcast. I'm excited to be here, Melanie, and thank you so much for the invitation. Well, Carol, I know you have a great story about how you became a writer, something you had never considered doing. Um, Would you share that story with how you started and how you finished that first novel? Um, After the death of my husband, Glenn, I found myself just in grief, just grief-stricken. I tried several things. I tried writing on Facebook, and everybody said I made them cry. And then I tried uh, a blog, a differentseason.com, and that helped uh, a lot. And then I was picked up the El Reno Tribune and turned a page, and there's this little tiny ad that said, have you ever thought about writing? Well, I looked at my dog, and we both agreed that I would go. So I ended up at Creative Quills with Andrea Foster at El Reno uh, Public Library. It's a Carnegie Library. And I went in, and it was May the 10th. I remember the day well. May the 10th, and I sat down. Um, I hadn't even brought proper material, and she gave me a book to write in. I did have a pen. And um, I went from there. And so she... The writing prompt that day was music. So she put the music on, and I had nothing. I I thought, what am I doing here? <laughs> so I got up and left, and everybody was like, I don't think we'll see her ever again. So I came back for the next class, and um, I sat down, and I looked around, and saw all of these fabulous writers and Andrea said I'm going to pass a box and everybody pull a name and then we'll go from there so they passed the box and I got Rosie Redmond well when it came my turn to speak because you 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 write until Andrea says that's enough I had about a page and a half and so everybody else started out with well my person is dark-headed, probably has, probably, probably, and it got to me, and I said, Andrea, I just wrote, and she's like, go ahead and read it, so I read, and when we got to the part where it said, the door partially opened, that was when Andrea looked at me and said, this positive affirmation, I can hardly wait to see where this is going, so that was the start of my adventure, 
Well, <laughs> that's that's a great cliffhanger. <laughs> of course, we want to know what happens yeah. when the door opens, right? Oh, that's so cool. And then it just took off from there. It did. Rosie just spoke to me. Um, even though she's not the main character in the book, Rosie is one of these people that everybody knows. Everybody has a friend like it, or it. she just adds a comic relief to the, to the books. And uh, she gets more prominent as the books go on. But, yeah, Rosie was, that was the name that started it all. Oh, she's a wonderful character. I I <clears throat> really enjoyed reading about her. And so your novel, A Different Season, began with this name, drawn out of a hat. And tell us something about uh, the main character in the story. I want you to read something from the novel, but set us up a little bit and tell us, like, what's going on? What's the mystery? What's the What's happening with the main character, Connie. Constant Louise Sinclair. Um, yes, Connie is, um, well, she finds herself um, in a situation that she never dreamed her life could take, um, the death of her husband by a mysterious accident, um, her trying to uh, just see into his eyes one more time just to know that uh, that he was still there and they were together because um, Connie knows, because this is what Charles had told her, that as long as they were together, everything would be all right. But it didn't turn out all right because Connie finds herself uh, penniless. She makes a trip to Enid to inquire of one of the oil uh, oil friends of Charles that had been to several dinners at their house. They have a really nice estate. Um, and Philip drops a bomb on her. And so Connie just says, this is the first time that she, after he told her of her circumstances, this is the first time that she looked up and saw pity in someone eyes. Up until this time, she had never felt pity from anyone. So uh, this, to, what I'm going to read is um, where Connie and Rosie are in jail. And uh, uh, thunderstorms has always, has always been, thunderstorms has always been one of uh, Connie's foreboding. She knew something was, was amiss when she, when the thunderstorms. So this is... Uh, Connie jumps while placing her hand over her mouth to stifle the urge to scream as the all-too-familiar rap-tap-tap can be heard from the other side of the door. Her mind races back through her previous thoughts, which have consumed her ever since leaving the police department. Yes, the thought that J.J. had murdered that girl, and even if he hadn't, he certainly knew something about it. Then... As the thunder increases in intensity and frequency, so do her fears. She can hear the wind fiercely blowing as it tosses trees and limbs about beside her windows, leaving ghostly shadows on her floor. Again, the rap-tap-tap that used to send her heart racing as she could hardly wait to get to the door now made her release a small 
but still audible gasp. Connie, open the door. I'm sorry I left so unexpectedly the other evening. Please let me in. I know you must be confused. Please let me explain. I need to have you understand. Connie tries desperately to control her now shallow breath. What to do? She grabs her phone to call 911 as she just can't open her door to a possible criminal. Connie, please, I'm leaving town and I can't go like this. Now lowering his voice as he leans against the door and states, I think I have feelings for you. No, I know I have feelings for you and I love you. There, I've said it. I do love you. Please, please, Connie, let me in. Her heart softens and her mind immediately reverts to the evening he just rose and left without a word. Was that it? He loves me but didn't know how to handle it? As she slowly unlocks and opens the door, with eyes averted, she backs away. The door creaks open and eases to a stop. Yeah, <laughs> there's that door opening again. <laughs> we want to want. And is this guy a murderer or is he Mr. Wright? Who knows? <laughs> so she opens the door. Well, so there is there are just a lot of great moments in that novel where we don't know exactly what's going to happen or what's behind the door metaphorically or or literally. So uh, once you'd gotten this novel, and maybe even before you were finished with it, I'm, I don't remember, but um, you just, you got a, you got an idea for a whole series. And how did that happen? Uh, this is one of those things that I can't explain. I don't know where it came from. Um, we were at Creative Quills. Um, this was my main group, my only group. Um, and uh, Andrea had set up for uh, someone to come and interview us. And so they started on the other side of the table, and everybody was holding their books up. And this is book one, this is book two. And then it got around to me, and I was next to the last. And I don't know. I just said... Book one is a different season. Book two is Mist of the Moment. Book three is Sweet Summer Rain. And book four is Wind of Change. I sat back and the lady next to me leaned over and said, Wonderful, a season series. And that's how it got started. <laughs> well, probably some of our best ideas just come from our unconscious. And there it is. And yeah. you just knew that was going to happen. And it did happen. Well, you made it happen, of course. Now, you also, I think one of the distinct features of your novel is that the, um, the detail, the legal detail is very accurate, very realistic. There's, you know, no fudging on how long it takes to get some sort of test done or, you know, it's it's very realistic. And I think your experience working in law offices um, gave you just this broad perspective, but also a lot of specific knowledge about inheritance, fraud, murder. <laughs> just you... you uh, you knew about all of these things. Extradition. <laughs> Extradition. There we go. Um, and so 
I also enjoyed the lush settings in the novel. And so all of this comes from from your your own experience and how how does that blend in as you write? Um I can only write what I know and even when I'm stuck I have to go find something to push me to make me think and um so I have worked for four different administrations at Canadian County Sheriff's Office. Um, I ended my uh, career with the Canadian County District Attorney's Office. Um, Then, on our first move, I worked for a prominent defense attorney. Um, So I think all of that compounded, plus um, the abstracts and the contracts and the writs and all of that, um, I pulled that from my great-grandmother made the run. And so the abstracts that are talked about in the book are exactly what I had in my hand when I was writing. Um, I had to go find them when I was writing the books. And so all of that, and plus an active life that can give you stuff to pull from. So, yeah, you just need to, you have to, you have to know it. Um, when I painted, uh, one of the teachers told me, because I was sitting and staring at a, a portrait I was getting ready to paint, and she said, always start with something you know. And so I always started with the eyes. So in writing, I do the same thing. When I'm stuck or whatever, I'm like, okay, Carol, what do you know? Get back to what you know. And so, yeah, you have to you have to have a, a base to pull from. And sometimes until you brought it up, I didn't realize that my work history was the base that I can pull all this from. Well, it's, it's a really good subtext of the book, that all of that accurate crime. And you grew up in El Reno, so you uh, you have in your mind and as you walk outside probably um, all of these places that you're really familiar with and that also informs the novel yes book three um, is a lot of El Reno history it tells about the Elks Club and how it got here from the World Convention in 1908 came by train um, it tells about Ross Seed and Feed. It tells about El Reno Tribune. It tells about the law offices. Um, it tells about our famous hamburgers and conies. And so, yeah, um, in book three, you take a journey. And also the state. The state is on Northwest Highway, and you can drive to the location where uh, these books uh, have started. It's the state on Northwest Highway, just outside Okarchi. And um, plus two, that is where my father was raised. And he would always tell the story about when he came home from school, he could see his horse standing on the knoll waiting for him to get home. Well, the book has black magic in it. And guess what? He stands on that knoll and he... uh, He's waiting for Connie to come home. So, and the, the horse was beloved to her, just beloved. It was like a child. 
well, the horse is also, and the whole journey with the horse is another a subset or a subplot of the novel that's really interesting, and and uh, we and and the character has to travel around. So some of your experiences living in different places come into um, into view as you're as we're reading this, and. I want to remind everyone that I am talking to Carol Nichols of El Reno today. And one of the things that I like about the novel, her first novel, is Connie, the main character, she finds out some things about her her husband after he dies that he wasn't the perfect guy she thought he was or uh, and she didn't have the perfect marriage she thought she had. But when Rosie asks her, "Well, I've ne- I've never had a perp- I've never had a long-lasting relationship. How do you do that?" Uh, I think Connie has some really great words or some really great uh, great ideas about that. And so I, I wanted you to t- talk to the reader or to our listeners about that just a little bit. Mm, Connie and Rosie in the first book are in jail, and in the second book they're in jail, but (laughs) flipped circumstances. Um, So they're sitting there, and Connie is thinking, J.J. is going to come and rescue them, you know, and but he doesn't come. And so Rosie is saying, you put a lot of, you put a lot of trust in people, don't you? And this is where Connie says, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty naive. Charles has always said that I was naive. And so Rosie said, Connie, I've never known the love like you had, and now you might have this love a second time. And, and Connie says, Rosie, there is one thing that Charles and I lived by, and that was if we were ever in an argument that we would never say anything that would hurt someone so bad that a hundred apologies could never erase it. And so she said, we just knew that whenever somebody has something in their subconscious, even if they say, I forgive you, they really in their heart can never forgive you. So that's, that's my advice to you, Rosie, is just, just to never say anything that will tear the person you love apart more than what they can ever recover from. Well, well, I think those are very profound words. And and Connie uh, Connie goes as you alluded to before earlier in our in our talk, she has to go through a lot after he dies. She was living the life of, you know, the housewives of El Reno. <laughs> she was she had everything she wanted. She didn't have to worry about anything. And then all of that comes to uh, a, a, a crashing halt, and she has to be a very different kind of person. Um, so her resilience is a, and what she has to do is a really strong theme of about women, I think, in the novel that's important. Yes. Yeah, Connie... Um Connie was always well taken care of. If she wanted something uh, in her younger years, um, Daddy bought it. And uh, then she went from that to knowing Charles and uh, over this white um, Bahama 
Beach Island. And uh, then all of a sudden, Charles is gone. She has no idea how to do anything except spend money. Um, So that's when everything starts falling apart. And so Connie starts depending on people. And then she was more dependent, more dependent. And then something happens, and Connie just says, enough. And so Connie starts taking control of her life. Connie's at a point that she's never going to let at the, at the, she's never going to let a man make her cry uh, ever again, that she was this resilient person that could do this. And she does. She takes it all. And um, of course, she's got helpers from the police department. And but yeah, they they reinforce her. So yeah, she had a lot to think about. Besides finding out who killed her husband. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's got to get her life together. So I think that's a really important part of the book, a really important theme. Well, I know when uh, when you're when you're not writing, uh, you're painting, and I've seen pictures of your artwork. It's really exquisite. But when you sit down to read, who are some of your favorite writers? I just finished C.J. Box. Uh, I know he's not for everybody, but yeah, he drew he drew me in. It's more of a man's point of view novel, but it's set in Wyoming. Love it. I've read the whole series. Um, and then my very favorite novel is And Ladies of the Club. And this is set back in the 1800s, and I love history, so I pull lots of history into my books. But uh, yeah, this is back when... They were trying to figure out uh, what the real Republican Party was. And so it's um, and Ladies of the Club and uh, Helen Hooven Santmar. And I, she only wrote two books, but it's if you like history, it's it's a book to go for. Oh, thanks for those tips. I'm always glad to hear about writers. And I think other uh, people on the podcast have rep have recommended box and and so he's he's really well known and and so and this other writer she she has been very famous but um this is somebody i don't know so i always learn something i always learn a lot uh doing the doing these interviews but before we close today could you give our listeners who are emerging writers some words of advice um What's been helpful to you as a writer, and and what was not helpful? When I am stuck, uh, the bench is prominent through all the books. I go to the backyard, and I sit on the bench where Connie and Charles always sat, which is truthfully where Glenn and I always sat. Um, I walk the garden. I pull ivy out of a tree. I stop and look at a hydrangea bush, love hydrangeas, lots of hydrangeas in the books. Um, And it said, uh, Sister Teresa. And at that moment, I went back in and sat down in the chair. And I said, Lord, Sister Teresa is what I needed to hear right now. And so God is um, a big part of my life. 
um, God has inspired me, and I believe that God has helped me um, get through these books and get through the grief that that I had. Um, In book three, I had started, um, my son had been given six months to live, and so what I do is put it on paper, put it in a journal, get it off my, out of my head and, and somewhere that I can just, and so I started with a dead, a dead son, and then Chris, six months he was at death's door, his wife had even quit work to be with him, um, and so he threw uh, ribbons that I placed in the window, he called one day and said, Mom, I think I'm feeling better, so he thrived for another three years. And I think God knew that I just lost Glenn. Glenn went on hospice October the 10th. And then my son was diagnosed on October the 23rd for six months to live. And I think God knew that I needed Chris in my life longer time. And so I didn't, I I didn't write. I didn't want to do anything that would be detrimental in any way. And so after Chris passed, I didn't, I started book three over and I didn't start with a dead son. I started with Peter Christopher Roseman and whose name is Chris. And this baby lives, this baby thrives. I got to put in there things that Chris did. I can move his baby bed and sweep underneath it, and it never he never woke up. I got to add all of this stuff in book three that blessed me that I realized that these two men in my life, what a blessing they have been. I was just blessed to be in their life. And so... Um, yeah, when you get to places like that, you just know that you you can just go. You can just go and write. But one thing, do not embrace negativity. Um, as Melanie had stated, um, one of um, my paintings is as a, of a rose. And I usually self-teach myself anything I want to do, knit, crochet. So I had started this picture, and I called my dear friend, and I said, are you still up? And she said, yes. So I ran down to show her this painting that I'd started, and it was of a rose. And she said, a rose is the hardest thing you can ever paint. Well, it took years, maybe nine years before I ever got a rose painted. And so I go to Andrea. I walk in. The first time didn't work. I come back the second time. So when I got to the part where uh, the door partially opened, this would have been a time where Andrea Foster could have said, no, you should have done an outline. No, you should have told us what color her hair was. No, no, Andrea didn't say that. She affirmed that I can hardly wait to see where this goes. I went home. The book was written in six weeks. So never let anything that's negative uh, come, come into your life that you can't, that you don't have control of. Because you can get negative in your head. Um, and it just seems like, why? Why am I even trying And then one time we were at a different meeting, and that's when 
I was well into books, and I left 10 pages for the group members to critique, and then you just picked them up afterwards, and I picked it up, and the lady said, why did you bring God into this with a question mark? Well, basically, she said real succinct, you know, why is God in your book? And she had written it with a green pen. Of course, there was purple pens and red pens and other pens all over the paper. So I don't know what the rest of the meeting was about. My mission was to find, I kept saying, ladies, get your pens out. We need to get those pens out. I wanted to see who had the green pen. And uh, yeah, so that, that slowed me down on the book. But God is a big part of my life. And I think until you mentioned it, Melanie, that Really, um, I do write inspirational, um, God-based literature. God's everywhere. Well, and there's quite an audience for faith-based faith-based literature, and uh, and there are many uh, faith-based writers. I mean, you have a good story. Your character has has faith. I mean, that's part of who she is, and so. That's part of what you know and what you make real about the character. It's not a book about somebody who finds God, but it's a book about a character who is reinforced by her faith and and relies on it. I think that's, uh, you know, that's just part of being, of creating a character who is true to you and your experience. And back to the part about healing uh, through writing, Um, I can still read through book one and I can, I'll cry at the same places that I got to put something about either Glenn or Chris. Um, and also, um, every time in all four of the books, every time that Connie feels Charles is when Glenn has come to me when I'm writing. And so, um, whenever I got stuck, sometimes... Well, the keys. I got keys in the mail, and it's in the book. And I can remember standing in the entryway and open the key, open this little package, and turning it upside down, and the keys uh, dropping on the glass of the table. And I look at it because these are Glenn's keys. So I took that and turned it into part of the book, which led me down the trail that I needed to be on. So, yeah, it's inspirations everywhere. So, And you just wrote who, you know, about, and I think that's one of the things that you say to the, said to us today, you know, write what you know, write about the things that are right around you and that are the things that are going through your mind. And there's just, it's very rich. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. I want to thank you, Carol, for coming down to record your interview and sharing these very personal stories with us. I think that's I think that's wonderful. And and it's uh, it's great of you to be able to open up about those very deep things that you wrote about. We appreciate it. I appreciate you, too, Melanie. Thank you so much. Today's interview with Carol Nichols is being recorded Monday, September 11, 2023, in the Maker Lab studio of Pioneer Library, 
Pioneer Library's Central Branch in Norman, Oklahoma. It will be published Friday, September 15, 2023 on Buzzsprout, Spotify, Google, and Apple Podcasts.